Thank you so much, Todd. And uh, I'm excited this morning that we can get into God's Word together. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me as we continue a series that we have started a couple of weeks ago called God's Amazing Promises. So please, if you would, please just open your Bibles and and we're going to begin speaking about that now. So God's Amazing Promises has opened up the door for us to talk about a number of areas of God's promises. We've noted that there are over 7,200 specific promises in God's Word. And it's up to you and to me to glean, to dig and glean and learn from those promises. In the first week, we laid kind of a, a, a beginning foundation introduction for this whole idea of the importance of God's promises and that there are so many, but we must lay hold of them and we must know them and then we must appropriate them personally in our lives. So each week we're applying God's promises to a different area of our life. Last Sunday, we talked about God's amazing promises for my future. God had a lot to say, didn't he? about our futures and how that we can hold on to those things. Today, I want to speak to you about God's amazing promises for my identity. You may have never thought so much about God speaking to your identity, but today I want you to really get this. Now, I mentioned this story a couple of uh, weeks ago, an incident that happened to me uh, actually in early March And uh, I thought I would use it as a way to introduce the subject of identity. Uh, Here's my passport. And uh, it just so happens that uh, on a recent trip to South Africa in early March, I lost my passport. It was actually stolen. But uh, a lost or stolen passport, can I just tell you something? It's not easy to replace, all right? And it was a painful experience of having to go through all the steps that it required while I was there in South Africa to obtain uh, a replacement passport. And uh, I found myself going through some interesting uh, emotions reflecting back and remembering that incident. And when I didn't have the passport, of course, the first thing I did is to panic right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of the country here in a couple of days. I want to get back to America. Where's my passport? They're not going to let me board that plane without a passport. And they're surely not going to let me back in the States without my passport. And uh, whenever I receive, this is a replacement passport and uh, they gave it to me. It took quite a while, quite involved to do it and, uh, and costly as well, by the way. But uh, I found myself, it's got my photograph in it, it's got all the necessary information, I had no trouble re-entering the country. But here's what I found. I found that whenever I didn't have this passport traveling in another country, uh, I, I, I became more insecure and I became more, more unsettled. And I realized, reflecting back on it, there was a sense of, of insecurity because my identity, now I knew who I was, I knew I was a U.S. citizen, but no one else could, I couldn't prove it to anybody. So that question regarding my identity became a central focal point for several days for me. And I realized flying back to the States, being so relieved that I was able to get on board the plane and get back before they shut down the flights and get through immigration and customs when I arrived in the U.S., I was reflecting upon this subject of identity and how that my identity, this proved my identity to the officials. And I began to, it was just like the Holy Spirit was prompting me and saying, yes, but do you know where your real identity is? 
And I was like, yes, Lord, you're right. And I began to realize that although a passport is important for travel, the Word of God is the most important statement about your identity, my identity. This Bible tells me who I truly am as a believer. Yes, I'm a citizen of the United States, but my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. And if you are a born-again believer today, you also are a citizen of heaven. And the Bible actually refers to us as aliens here on this planet. Yeah, so we have a higher citizenship than American citizenship or whatever country you may be watching from. So here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. Happiness, well-being, and a sense of a normal equilibrium in the way that we live our lives is dictated by whether or not we know our identity. Have you ever wondered about how you develop your identity? Knowing what God thinks and says about you is absolutely critical to living a life well and enjoying all that God has for us. Do you know who you really are today? Do you, how in touch are you with your true identity? Not your driver's license, not your passport, but what God says about who you are. So this morning, this morning's message, I'm going to share with you some specific aspects of your true identity. And we're going to be getting into God's promises about that. And I think it's going to help uh, affect the way you think, the way that you live, the way you behave. So before we do that, though, let's do a couple of preliminary things. We're going to define identity. What is identity? What does that actually mean? Because over the course of our lives, people, all of us, our identity is being formed. One reason parenting is so critical because actually our children's identity is formed by how we parent and what we teach them, and how we live in front of them. And uh, your identity is formed and shaped through individual experiences, through relationships. Your identity, the way you think about yourself, is, is formed by the culture in which we live, by media, the world around us. In other words, we are constantly seeking to understand, in any way we can, who we are. That's just a natural tendency, isn't it? And uh, someone once wrote as a definition for identity this. Identity is who we experience ourselves to be. The I each of us carries within. The I we carry within. You know, it's interesting that today we live in a day in which stolen identity is a common point of discussion. So much so that businesses have been created to help protect your identity. And I find that interesting because it's actually not a new problem at all. In fact, we can go all the way back in the Bible to Genesis chapter 25. We find two brothers named Jacob and Esau. And you can go back and look at the story on your own. But we're reminded that Esau had an identity issue. His issue was he was willing to sell his birthright, his position and benefits as a son. He was willing to sell them for a bowl of beans, a bowl of chili. Wow, that's pretty cheap, isn't it? He actually gave away, despised his identity 
and gave it away and lost it. I think many Christians today don't have a strong sense of their identity in Christ. And as a result of that, our lives affect it. And I'll share with you in just a second how knowing your identity in Christ can positively impact your life. I was also thinking about this, and all of you are familiar with this. Whenever you meet someone, you get acquainted with someone for the first time, and you're just getting to know them, what's one of the first things you'll do? Maybe you find out their name, and then you'll say, well, what do you do? One of the first questions we'll do is we'll ask people, well, what do you do? What we mean by that is, um, what is your occupation? What is your career? Uh, what do you do for uh, as a normal part of your day? Uh, are, are you a housewife? Are you uh, homeschooling your children? Are you a business person? Where are you employed? What you do with your life becomes identity. And I thought, how sad that is that we base so much of our identity upon what we do rather than who we are. Who we are isn't necessarily what we do. You may be a plumber, but if you're in Christ, that's your true identity. And you may be the best plumber in town, or you may be a physician. And your identity can easily get wrapped up in what you do. So I want to suggest to you today that knowing our identity in Christ is one thing, but understanding how it practically changes the way we live is another, and we all need to do that. So here are a few ways that I found that discovering your true identity can make such a difference. Now, the first thing you need to understand before I give you this uh, brief list here is that you need to understand that your identity is based upon the Word of God. The Word of God should become the basis for who you are, as I just said. So one of the most important revelations that you can have is by knowing what the Bible says about you. And the scripture makes it very clear as Christians who we are. I was thinking about this the other day, uh, that where our identity, I've just been reflecting on where do we get our identity. And the truth of the matter is that some of us uh, have more identity with um, not only your job, but maybe even your football team or your college that you attended. And uh, uh, I'll say this to all my friends from Alabama. I've learned this about people who live in Alabama. If you meet someone from Alabama, the first thing they're going to tell you about themselves is one of two things. They're going to tell you that they're either they're either they're going to they're going to be an Auburn fan or they're an Alabama fan. It's one or the other. And so what you can hear from them immediately. I mean, I have friends. The first thing they say to me is, "I go, well, how are you doing today?" And they go, "Roll Tide." I mean, that's the first thing they say is, "Roll Tide." I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to know about you, Roll Tide. That's their identity. And then I know, know, know other people who are Auburn fans, and I say, well, what's going on? War Eagle. And I mean, that's the first thing they say, and I think how, how sad and how shallow that our identity can be just wrapped up in our college that we attended or our alumni. So I want to share with you that where we really need to base it rather than on our football teams or whatever that may be. And here it is based upon the revelation of God's word. We, in the spirit realm, have a new identity. 
So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, my friend, listen to me carefully, you have a new identity in Christ. And it's based upon Scripture. The Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it teaches us that we are crucified with Christ. In other words, you and I, when we come to Jesus, we are united at a deep heart core level with Christ. And through that decision of faith, we become in Christ. That is an unchangeable, unassailable, unfailable position that we have now. We are in union with Christ, we're united with Him, and we are one with Him. According to Scripture, we're united with Christ both in His death, as Galatians 2.20 said, but also even in His resurrection, as Colossians chapter 3, and you see it there in your notes, tells us that we have been raised with Christ. So, what's the point I'm making? God's Word tells us that we are now in union with Christ, united with Him, and because we are in Christ, everything that the Bible says for those who are in Christ applies to you and to me. Folks, that is good news. Now let me share with you some of these great benefits. And, and there's a bunch of them. I tried to limit my list. It was really difficult. But let me share with you some benefits of knowing your identity, not just intellectually, but actually down here at the heart level, grabbing hold of it and saying, that's who I really am. And if you'll know it, here's some of the benefits that will be realized. Number one, it reveals God's true view of you. Oh, that is so important. It's more important for me to get in touch with how God sees me rather than how sometimes I think about how other people see me, right? We're moved so easily by comparisons. We're moved up and down with our emotions based on how people treat us or what someone says about us. Let me say this to you. How God views you is what's most important. Viewing yourself as God sees you really does matter. If we lived out our identity based on how God sees us, we'd no longer feel the need to find our worth based upon people or even external circumstances. This is so important that throughout the Bible, we know this, that it was so important for God that we got in touch with his view for us that he would even change people's names. So Abram became Abraham. Sarah, Sarah became Sarah. Saul became Paul. Why? Maybe other theological reasons, but I know one at least, and that is to assist them in making an identity shift. So they would begin to see themselves through God's lens. God's view is what really matters. Um, as an illustration, I know a lot of pastors and those that are involved in full-time ministry. And as many of you know, I mean, I have 20 some odd years of a whole lot of work directly with pastors. And one of the greatest challenges for people who are involved as a pastor or an evangelist or some area of full-time ministry is they easily slip over into an identity crisis. They allow their identity to be connected to their success or results as a minister. And so if they deem that their results and their ministry isn't what they hoped it might be, then they go into, they'll fall off into discouragement easily. 
Uh, there's a saying among pastors uh, that uh, talking about Mondays, that Monday is a dark day. The reason they talk about that, for me it's a good day, it's my day off. But for many pastors it's a dark day because their identity is wrapped up in how they think Sunday services went. And if they don't think they did good, or maybe not enough people showed up, or maybe the offering wasn't so good, what do they do? They interpret, they personalize that, and they feel like they are a failure because of the performance. It's just a result of all of us, and frankly, our our whole culture has made us to be very performance-oriented. Let your identity be based on who you are. I tell these pastors, I said, that, your identity isn't based on your attendance last Sunday. Your identity is based on who you are and what God's called you to be. And that's true for all of us. Number two, it's beneficial because it gives us a sense of peace and well-being. It'll change just the way you live in your life by knowing your true identity. Number three, it creates a positive outlook and an attitude of faith. If I really know who I am in Christ, and I know my true identity in Christ, it will cause me to approach the future in the right attitude. I can handle fear. I can combat the fears of the future with faith, and it makes a huge difference. Number four, it actually will renew your thought life by being more familiar with what the Bible says about you, God's view about you, who you are in him. You will begin to renew the way you think. We know that Romans 12 speaks to us about that. It will also propel you towards abundant living. John 10.10, familiar scripture, says what? That the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come to what? To give you life, eternal life, and abundant life. Eternal life in the hereafter, abundant life right here on the earth. The question is, many of us are living below what we ought to live because we're not living the abundant life victorious life that Jesus offers to us. So identifying with Christ will allow you to change the way you live. It'll allow you to rise above adversity and challenges. It not understanding our identity with him will keep you living far below your rights and your privileges in Jesus Christ. And finally, number six, the sixth benefit is that it will shield us from Satan's strategies. Let's face it, the devil knows exactly how to attack you, doesn't he? He knows your weak link, he knows your vulnerability, and he will aim his missiles at those targets. And what he usually does is finds out where you don't know, have a working revelation of your position in Christ, and he'll take a shot. Like what? Deception. Fear. Uh, unworthiness. That's a big one, isn't it? Unworthiness, making you feel like you're ashamed of, of who you are and you're not really worthy of this or that. Inferiority. I could go on listing all of his arsenal of weapons that he uses against us. But if we are simply trained to know our new position in Christ and we get our identity established in that, guess what? Now it causes me to have a better shield Ephesians tells us that we ought to put up what? The shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want the shield of faith 
to protect you and to shield you against Satan's strategies that come against you, you need to become familiar with God's promises. So when you identify with Christ, God gives us a new identity. So in keeping with that, I want to share with you just a few of those. All right, It would be impossible for me to give you all uh, of the different aspects of our identity in Christ, and I felt bad about some that I'm leaving out this morning, but I just had to pick some, and I'm going to offer to you six of these. And, and I challenge you to keep um, those of you who are getting notes, and you have these uh, slides as notes and I challenge you to keep that on hand because you might have to refer to those just on a regular basis to make sure that you're renewing your mind about who you are in Christ. And, and uh, by the way, those of you who aren't getting notes and you'd like to, just send us an email to, to that address uh, at riverbendchurch.church. You can just send it to media or go on our website and make that request. We'll be happy to provide them for you on a weekly basis. So let's cover at least six, all right? This will get you going. Number one. And uh, you can just say this, actually, if you want to with me, but uh, as I say them, because they're very, very important that we not only know them, but we say them and declare them. The first one is, I am completely accepted. Go ahead and you can just say it. I am accepted. I'm completely, I like to say it this way, I'm completely accepted. All right, let's give the basis for this. How do we know this? Because the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, in one translation it says, you have been chosen by God himself. You, as a Christian, you've been chosen. You are particularly chosen by God himself. How do I know that I'm accepted? Well, I've listed here for you two reasons. Because God chose me before everything. It's hard to grab our heads around this. But let's read the scripture. Ephesians 1, verse 4 and verse 6. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight by his love. And verse 6 goes on to speak in one translation of, I am accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ. That's, that, is, that really blows your thinking. Before the creation of the world, before the creation of Mount Kilimanjaro, before the creation of the Denali mountain chain, before the waterfalls and the oceans and before the planets were slung throughout the universe, God chose you in him and he not only chose you to be accepted in him but he chose you to be separated holy and blameless in his in his sight why did he do it how did he do it because of his love for you because god chose you and me and the second reason that i'm completely accepted today is because jesus has made me acceptable now here's the reality we're born in sin We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans tells us. And we know that sin is a separator. Sin separates us from God. But God, through his love, has provided his son, Jesus, in order to bridge that gap and allow you and me a way that we can have a relationship with God. And in the process, he makes us acceptable. Look at the scripture. 
one that's not on the screen, but uh, I'll offer it to you anyway. In Titus 3 and verse 7, says, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God, and he gave us the hope of eternal life. Wow. He made us acceptable to God. In Ephesians, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's two specific verses there I want you to note. The first one is in verse 17. It's familiar to many of you, and it simply says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or another translation says, you are a new creature. You are the new creation. That's you and me. We are a new creation because we are now what? Notice those two words, underline them in your Bibles, in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, then you're a new creation. And the old is gone. And the new is here. What a fantastic point to begin on. If you don't know Jesus today, you can have a new, fresh start right here. But even if you've known Jesus for 28 years, you need to remind yourself that Jesus has made you acceptable. Why? Because you're a new creation in him. In verse 21, he makes it even a little bit more clear when he said, He made Christ, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. What motivated Jesus to take on sin? Because of you. Because of his love for you. He made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him, you see those words again? Watch for them in the Bible. In him. In him we would become the righteousness of God. One, one translation, the Amplified Bible, expands that this way. It says, that is that we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious Loving kindness. Now that's, that's a real expanded version, isn't it? But that's exactly what it means to be made the righteousness of God. To be made the righteousness of God simply means that we are now in right standing with God. And even though our sin made us unworthy and separated us from God, once we accept Jesus Christ, everything has changed. And now we become new creations and Christ took our sin on himself for the purpose of allowing you and me to now be in right standing with God. You're worthy. You say, I don't feel very worthy. No, but you have been declared worthy. Jesus has declared you worthy to accept all the blessings of God, to walk as a child of God. You have been made acceptable. Some of us just focus on our inaccept, unacceptability because of our failures. But the Bible tells us that we've been made accepted. And now, every day, we need to be reminded, I stand worthy before you, God, because not because of my performance, not because of how good I've been this week, but because of the blood that Jesus gave for me. Now, I'm completely accepted. You are completely accepted because God chose me before everything and because Jesus made me and you acceptable. Isn't that good news? I hope you really get it down deep in your heart. I am completely accepted. Let's go to number two, shall we? 
Number two, I am extremely valuable. I am extremely valuable. This is a positional statement. This is an identity statement. And as I said, know it, claim it, declare it over your life. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy, this isn't on your screen, but Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, you are the people holy to the Lord. You are his treasured possession. Wow. The Jewish people were God's treasured possession. You say, good, but I'm a Gentile. It's okay. First Peter tells us that now you, as believers, we've been grafted in. So now, as new believers, we are a holy priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. We now are his special treasured possession. Now, the scriptures that I have here for you to see clearly are, and I gave you three because statements. Why are we extremely valuable? First of all, because God is my father. Because God is my father. God is your father. Luke chapter 12, verse 24. You know, this was spoke, Jesus spoke this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, look at the birds. Look at how God feeds them. And you are far more valuable than they, than to him, than any birds. Now, by the way, in my personal life, God feeds the birds around my house, but he uses my feeders to do so. So I just, you know, I know it's God that's feeding them, but I help out a little bit. Anyway, the point of the matter is that you and I are more valuable than any bird, all right? And God takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of us. Why? Why are we very valuable? Because God's our Father. Secondly, because Jesus gave his life for me. Because he gave his life for me. Look at the scripture that I provided. You have been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. Once we accept Christ, we belong to him. He has paid an incredibly expensive price for you to belong to him. You're valuable to him. So much so he was willing to let his own son die for us. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And the third reason that we're extremely valuable is because God created me with a purpose. God created you with a purpose. See, Ephesians 2 tells us, I think we looked at this last week as well, we are God's workmanship. Another translation, we are God's masterpiece in Christ Jesus. God made us, he created us to do good works which God planned in advance for us to do, uh, to live our lives doing. What's the point? God's created you with a purpose. He wouldn't create you with such an important purpose. You are considered to be his masterpiece. You are extremely valuable. There is no work of art in the world today. I've been privileged to enjoy walking through uh, well-known uh, museums, the Louvre, National galleries of art, places where famous paintings are and sculptures, and I've seen many of them. Do you know there is no sculpture, there is no piece of art, there's no Michelangelo, there, there, there's no, there, there is no piece of art worth more to God than you. You are his masterpiece. In fact, the word they're used for workmanship or masterpiece is a word that actually we get our our English word poem from. The point is, God's a creative God, isn't he? He wrote something. 
You are a unique creation from God, and you are valuable. All right, we've got two of them, right? So I am completely accepted, and I am extremely valuable. Let's look at number three. I am a member of God's family. Wow, my position just keeps getting better and better. My identity just keeps getting upgraded, doesn't it? I am a member of God's family. Yes, because of his love, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.5. Because of his love, God has already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. You're one of his children. You, through your faith and choice to make Jesus Lord and Savior, now you're a part of his family. Galatians 4 emphasizes it this way. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We have been adopted into his family. You and I are now sons and daughters. We are in the family of God. I'm not only a citizen of heaven, I am a child of God. I'm a member of his family. Now, if you walk around realizing that's my identity, then all the rest of our insecurities become very insignificant, right? We got to get it down in our hearts. The whole idea of adoption is an unbelievable view of ourselves in Christ. We know the Bible tells us that when the Spirit of God in Galatians comes to live on the inside of us, uh, Galatians and Romans speak to that idea of uh, adoption and sonship, and it says the Holy Spirit on the inside of us actually cries out. It relates. It communicates to God, and it says, Abba, Father, Papa, God. That intimate reference to God. Why? We're adopted. We're in His family. That's why the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption is in us, because we're members of God's family, right? I know this isn't brand new for some of you, but some of you really need to get it deeper in your revelation. Yeah, be, act like a member of God's family. Number four, I said I'm going to give you six, right? All right, we're going to do it. Number four, I am totally free. I am totally free. What a statement that is. As I was uh, reflecting on my notes last night, I thought this, this might be one of the most powerful statements that we walk away with when we become Christians and we know the reality of what's happened to us now as Christians. Freedom. Freedom through Christ is phenomenal. It's amazing. And it is so important and some of us don't live free. Some of us don't act free. Some of us don't live this way. But here's the truth. So let me reinforce it. The scripture says, the spirit you received, in Romans 8, 17, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you would live in fear again. Are y'all listening? So Paul was telling to the church, Holy Spirit speaking to us saying what? Look, you came to Christ not so that you would remain slaves, Slaves acting like slaves, in bondage, slaves to sin. He came that you might not live in fear, but that you might be free. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 tells us, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to be free. Once a slave to sin, once a slave in in bondage to whatever it may be, But God has promised you freedom. Yeah, we're free. I mean, we could list the areas of freedom. We're free from the penalty of sin. 
Romans even says we're free from the power of sin. We don't have to say yes to it. Also, the Bible says promises of freedom from even things that bind us and addictions, addict us, cravings and addictions. You can be free through Christ. He's the key. The Bible tells us that we can be free from curses upon our life. I could go on and on and on, listing all the kinds of freedom that come with a position and identity in Christ. I'll leave you with one more passage. It's right there on the screen for you on your slide. Galatians 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I know it's almost like, duh, well, of course. But he's, it's a point of emphasis. He sets us free for freedom. He wants you to live free. He wants you to get a revelation of your total freedom in him. And he goes on to challenge us, therefore, just keep standing firm. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by anything that yokes you or binds you or makes you like a slave. I'm totally free. I know that many of us have experienced things that abound us. And some of us still live with a sin mentality, and we need to change that to a acceptance, forgiveness, freedom mentality. Some of us still struggle with areas of addiction in our life. And, and you know, there's certain addictions that are high profile, but let me tell you, there's plenty of other addictions, things that we allow ourselves to get bound up with. Let me ask you today, are you bound or are you living practically what this truth says? This is our position. I'm totally free. I challenge you, let God work that freedom deeply into your life. And of course, uh, we have to go to number five, which takes us one step farther. I am an overcomer. I love this one. I am an overcomer. There's many days that I wake up and I just, I don't feel like I'm overcoming. And I just have to remind myself. I have to talk to myself. And I have to declare over myself God's truth. And one of the truths that I proclaim over myself is I'm an overcomer through Jesus Christ. That is God's truth. Sometimes I feel like I'm being overcome. Any of you feel that way? But the truth, my position, my identity is what? I am an overcomer. A couple of scriptures. 1 John chapter 1, 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God is an overcomer. 1 John chapter 5, same chapter, verse 4 and 5. For everyone that is born of God, are you born of God? Okay, if you're born again, you're born of God. If everyone that is born of God overcomes the world, See, you're an overcomer. This, what's this? This is the victory that has overcome the world. It's talking about not the planet. It's talking about the world system that we live in. What is it that overcomes that? Faith. Our faith. That is our victory. And there's another one that you know very well probably. In Romans 8, 37, it says what? Um, you've got to put it in context sometime. Go back and read Romans 8 again. It'll bless you. But this verse, verse 37, says, No, in all of these things, the things that have been listed prior to verse 37, no, in all these things, we are, it doesn't just say conquerors. 
It says what? More than conquer. You are a super conqueror through Jesus Christ. More than conquer through him who loved you. You can make it through this trial. You can overcome the temptation that has been harassing you on a regular basis. You can overcome the temptations to let your marriage fall apart. You can overcome everything through the victory of your faith. We have clear evidence in God's Word who says that positionally our identity is what? I identify with being an overcomer. I challenge you to give it a try. Lastly, number six, our time is up, but I'm going to give you one more because it's so important. I am fully capable. You like my picture there? Yeah, I knew it would inspire you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, one translation of Scripture says. I like this one in Philippians 4.13. This translation says this, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything. Do you see the exclusivity of that? I can do, and the inclusivity of it. I can do anything that God sets before me. I can handle it, and I can do it through Jesus. How, why and how can you do it? Because it's your position, but also because he promises to work his strength in and through you. Let me give you one quick personal example, and we'll close this morning with a, a wonderful song, a benediction song from our team. In 1990, I decided that I needed to complete some undergraduate work that I hadn't. I spent 17 years in full-time ministry without even a bachelor's degree. Uh, so uh, Jesus, Jesus was the one that took me through those years, and I was grounded in the Word, but I didn't have any formal degrees. And uh, God put on my heart to pursue, to finish the race on a few things, and so I was working on a, on a bachelor's degree, put enough hours together for that in Texas while I was there. And then we uh, decided in 1991 to relocate here to Virginia uh, to attend Re Regent University and, and start working on a master's uh, degree. Um, so a lot of people today, they don't understand the things that you go through to get where you're at, right? So today I, I have a doctor of education. I completed that a number of years ago. I went through an, you know, years of, of hard work to go through graduate school and, and, uh, and all that. What you don't know is that in 1990, which if you remember back some of you that far, computers were uh, uh, these massive machines that took up the entire desk, right, in an office, right? Huge and and you know, learning some of the you know some of the operating systems were were uh, now ancient, but at that time it's all that was there. And I remember having pressure from some colleagues and younger people who were on my staff say, uh, "You you need to learn how to use that computer." And I'm like, "There is no way I'm ever going to learn that." That's why I have an assistant. That's why I have an admin assistant that is over there in the office and she takes care of all that and uh, several said you know listen this is these computers this keyboarding it's going to be the wave of the future you know pastor you really ought to think about it. and i was resistant i was like oh man a, a learning curve oh i don't want to have to do that and um 
the more that I started taking coursework, working on the graduate degree, I realized that I couldn't assign all my papers to my church admin assistant. And I was stuck. So I got a friend of mine, he was my youth pastor at the time, to give me some basic lessons on how to make a computer function. Bought a computer. And then, my next challenge. I had this keyboard. Uh, unfortunately, I never ever took, uh, at the time, at the time uh, you can tell it's old school, we called it typing. Typing. Yeah. So the keyboard was on a typewriter. I wouldn't have, I, you know, a typewriter, I, I never even learned to use a typewriter, much less a keyboard. So now I had the challenge of, oh my gosh, how in the world, and I'm serious, like I was Mr. Hunt and Peck. Uh, I was determined I've got to do this paper. Took me probably 10 times as long as any other student. All the students were half my age anyway. So here I'm trying to get this assignment done without the skill set and I remember whenever we relocated to Virginia and then I was going to begin working on a graduate degree I thought whoo this is going to be tough I've got all of these assignments now that are all the it's all computer based and I've got to become proficient in using a keyboard I remember getting on my knees crying out to God I was pretty discouraged at the time with what I was looking at the mountain that I had to climb. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me learn how to do this. And um, God gave me that, reminded me of this verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all everything he sets in front of me. I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. I realized, reminded myself that I was fully capable. And to God's credit and to his glory, I figured it out. And uh, uh, don't please never observe me uh, in my computer efforts. I would say that I'm a moderate user, all right? That's about where I'm at. But uh, given my age and even adjustments I've recently made to um, the expansion of all the technology we have today, I, I, I'm not a slouch, but I'm not proficient, all right? So I'll just say it this way. I keep telling myself I'm fully capable. To expand your abilities. Whatever it is you've got in front of you. Whatever your mountain is. I want you to remember. You are fully capable. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. They've got a wonderful song. That they're going to sing as we close today. And I just want to pray for you. That you will take these. Message, these points I've shared with you today. To heart. I've given you six aspects of what it means to have a new identity, six aspects of your identity now in Christ. These are God's promises. They're all amazing. Next week, we'll look some at a different focal area for God's promises for your life. But take these today and apply them personally. I want to pray with you. Lord, I pray for each and every person who's viewing this program today. And I pray that they would take to heart these truths. Let their sense of identity not be in circumstance, not be in people's opinion about us, not be based on our driver's license, our passport, or what football team we root for, but let us be reminded our true identity is who we are in Christ. It's what your view of us is that really matters. 
Father, I pray for revelation. I pray for breakthrough. I pray today against the things, the lies and the deceptions and the attacks that the enemy would crowd us and encrouch upon our lives with. And I pray for breakthrough today. I pray for revelation, understanding, and knowledge today. I pray, Father, for a sense of faith to rise up that's like a buoyancy in their lives, an uplift draft today. Let this message and let this prayer be like a wind in their sail that takes them on to greater things in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Team, let's worship together.